Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And there is an absolutely beautiful and inspiring passage of scripture that I want to examine in this episode. I must tell you, I hesitate in one sense to do it because there are parts of the passage that are difficult to understand and about which many different views are taken. And if we allowed ourselves to, we could get bogged down in the study and miss the glorious and encouraging truth that the passage ultimately presents. Therefore, we're going to read the whole passage but comment only on those verses that clearly help to move it along to its heartwarming and reassuring conclusion. It is a passage about faithful children of God and describes the journey from suffering to glory. Look at Romans chapter 8, where we will be reading verses 18 through 25. Paul wrote these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. The truth of the matter is that most faithful children of the Lord are going to suffer at some point and in some way for their faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul wrote, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not everyone will suffer to the same degree, and not everyone will suffer the same type of persecution. But those who live according to the teachings of the Lord will antagonize the world and the world will respond, sometimes very harshly. But Paul told us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want to talk about that a little bit. Those who have walked in the footsteps of Jesus as members of his body have endured tremendous suffering over the centuries. Some were put to death in almost unimaginable ways. Others lost their homes and livelihoods. Still others have been subjected to horrendous torture and imprisonment, all because they served the Lord. 
Fortunately for us in our society, the abuse is rarely physical, but it takes other forms. However, I really don't believe that Romans 8.18 is limited to the sufferings we endure because we are children of God. It is bigger than that. It includes any evil we face, affliction, misfortunes, calamities, and so on. When we suffer for the cause of Christ, we at least know the reason for the suffering. But all that we endure in this life is not a result of our faith in the Lord. Some things just happen. And when they do, we need assurance and comfort that this will all end, and that no matter what we have had to endure, place it all on one side of a scale with the glory that will be ours on the other, and there is no comparison. Let's focus our attention on verses 23 through 25. Paul is writing about the day that all children of God eagerly look forward to, the day when Jesus returns and our bodies will be redeemed. The verses say, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Let's look at an explanation of this wonderful truth from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42-44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now, while we live in eager anticipation of the resurrection, we are not there yet. We live in the hope of that great day. We live in the earnest expectation of the return of our blessed Savior and the promised resurrection. Indeed, that hope serves as the anchor of the soul, as Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 tells us. We live a life that is characterized by hope. Hope for the glory that will be ours, the freedom from this decaying world and body, eternity in the bosom of the Lord. In a very real way, this hope is what serves to keep us faithful. I believe it is the reason God designed it as, it, as he did, for with this hope comes perseverance. Let's move on and read verses 26 through 30 of Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, our primary purpose in this episode is Paul's description in this incredibly uplifting passage of our journey from suffering to glory. Can there be a more encouraging thought 
a more sustaining thought than to know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose? I don't think so. The thought is that God causes all things to work together for good for his children. Well, how much is included in all things? As is always the case, it must be determined by context, and the context has dealt with ills and adversities, difficulties in our present life. Remember from verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. The promise is that God will bring forth good consequences out of adverse circumstances, including persecution and even death itself. This is very important. Paul did not say that God causes all these circumstances, but rather that he causes good to come out of them. Think about this. The Old and New Testaments both contain examples of how God made even seemingly evil things contribute to good, even in this life. How about Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers? They most assuredly intended it for evil, but Joseph saw it ultimately as being part of the work of God. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, Joseph told his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. I think of the book of Esther. Even though God's name does not appear in the book, his hand is all the way through it. Remember the statement that Mordecai made to Esther in Esther chapter 4 verses 13 and 14? He said, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. When Saul persecuted the church, the brethren in Jerusalem were forced to scatter, forced to leave their homes. That certainly looks like a calamity. And it was in the sense that many people were hurt and suffered the loss of much of what they had because of the havoc Paul created. But we remember what Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 tells us. Therefore, those who have been scattered abroad went about preaching the word. What happened? The gospel was heard in places where it had not been heard before. In the journey from suffering to glory, the knowledge that God can make even bad things contribute to the ultimate good of his people really helps us to make it through the trials and the sufferings. This wonderful assurance belongs to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2 identifies those who love God as those who observe his commandments. This corresponds perfectly with those who are called according to his purpose. It has been God's purpose that those who respond to the call of the gospel will be saved. Now, in this incredible journey from suffering to glory, God knew before that he would approve those who were in Christ, those who responded to the call of the gospel. And he predetermined or preordained that ultimately those believing, obedient people would be conformed to the image of his Son. And that contextually refers to that resurrected, glorified body. Oh, my friends, God destined that in the resurrection, at the redemption of our bodies, 
our bodies will be like that of the resurrected Christ. What a thought. Look with me at Philippians 3, 20-21, where Paul wrote, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Look once again at 1 Corinthians 15, where... In the discussion of what our resurrected bodies will be like, Paul wrote in verse 49, Just as we have borne that image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And while we are at it, look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. My friends, in order that Christ in his resurrected body would be the firstborn among many brethren, God created the plan that would call people to be in Christ through the gospel. Those who respond favorably to the gospel in obedience would be justified, would be declared free of guilt, and since it is part of God's plan, it can be stated as though it had already occurred. It is so assured and so definite that those who are justified will be glorified. We will receive that glorified body and live eternally with Christ Jesus in heaven. My friends, I don't usually like to use phrases like this, but this is so exciting. I want to read to you one man's description of those who will be conformed to the image of Christ in our resurrected bodies. He wrote that it will be a new race of eschatological people in whom God's design from the beginning of creation is at last fulfilled. Eschatology is simply the study of the end times, what is going to happen at the end when the Lord returns. Look now at verses 31 through 37 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we have been put to death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. If God is for us, who is against us? My friends, if you're a faithful Christian, God is on your side. As the redeemed, he is our friend. What he planned back in eternity and is carrying out has our ultimate good in mind. Whether it is pronouncing or removing a curse, sending his son to be a propitiation, or breaking the power of the slavery to sin, or overruling even circumstances that seem to be against us, this all plainly shows that God is for us. 
There is none mightier than God, and none that can thwart God's purpose for blessing and saving the believer, as long as the believer remains loyal to him. Verse 33 asks, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? The elect are those who are picked out or chosen, but it is not random. There is a reason for the choice that God makes. He elects or chooses those who obey him, those who respond in obedience to the gospel. Certainly, God does not lay anything to the charge of those obedient ones. He justifies them. Therefore, no one can bring a charge against God's elect that would induce him to condemn them. It is so important to remember that the elect are those who obey the gospel. Should they choose to cease to obey, then they would cease to be numbered with the elect and would face condemnation. My friends, Christ loves us. And even though many things happen that would try to shake our faith and perhaps tempt us to doubt the love of Christ and even forsake it, none of them is stronger than Christ's love. Nothing from without can cause Christ to quit loving us, even those things that cause death. No, over all such things, the faithful Christian overwhelmingly conquers. In this particular case, the prefix hyper is added to the word for to conquer. It is not just talking about defeating every enemy and conquering in every adverse circumstance that might arise. We overconquer. We do not just survive. We do not just endure. As long as we remain faithful, we win a glorious, overwhelming victory. We will prevail completely. And now as we conclude with verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8, Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In each thing here, Paul is considering external forces, powers, and influences. None of them can cause God to turn away from one of the elect. However, our own faithlessness, our failure to remain a faithful follower of Christ, can. It is possible for a child of God to cause his or her own name to be removed from the book of life. But that is not the emphasis of this glorious passage of Scripture. Stay faithful and bask in the wonderful promises assurances and blessings that God gives. It is a glorious journey from sufferings to glory. Thanks for listening.